All right, Isaiah, Isaiah 9 is an amazing prophecy about Jesus, about his coming, really about Christmas and how it would change the world. And this message you could call Jesus banishes the gloom. He chases the gloom out. That's what this says. And he wants to do that in your life, in my life. But there's more than that. Let's read. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest. As people rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden. And the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor. As in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle. And garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, And peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for these amazing words written 2,700 50 years ago. And yet, now looking back, our minds are literally blown away with what you have done and how you've come in that great light, the light of the world, and chased out the darkness. And you want to do that. Even the dark places still in our minds, still in our hearts, the gloom. You want to change that. Lord, speak to us now through your spirit. We pray in your precious name. So obviously the key verse here is in verse 6 where it says, Unto us a child is born. 
And unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. I love that part. The government will be on his shoulder. You know, when I was in high school, somewhere in high school, we studied about the mythological gods of Greece and Rome. I, I, don't, I can't remember what grade it was, but I had a particular favorite god, Atlas. You know, because he was there holding the world up on his shoulder. And he was so buff. I mean, his deltoids were rippling. And his pecs, oh. And the ab, just the, you know, I mean, it was incredible. No kegger, just a rippling abdominals. Just amazing because, you know, when you're carrying the world, it's a good workout. Now, maybe you don't know the story, but there was actually a war. Why he had to carry the world was because Atlas and the Titan gods were in a battle with Zeus and the Olympian gods, and they lost. And so Zeus, to punish Atlas, said that he had to hold up the world standing there like this forever. And so he's this guy, you know, like some of the like that guy that was on the on the movie that you guys had that youth pastor or whatever he is he is buff i tell you i've never had that problem but <laughs> but you know what it came to represent that people you cannot carry the world and all its problems it was sort of a a metaphor to say you can't bear all the world's problems And you know, God sent one. God sent a governor who would take all our problems. You know, yours and my problems are complex. They're difficult. You were not meant to carry them without the help of God, without the help of the Messiah. And that One of the promises of Christmas, of the advent of Christ, is that God would put all of that on his shoulders. And the government would be on his shoulders. The one who's called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. And he wants you to give all those things over to him. Now, all of this was prophesied about Jesus Christ. And prophecy is such an amazing thing. Isaiah, for example, is called the Messianic prophet because no Old Testament prophet gave such a clear view of the glory of the Messiah when he came. In fact, John said in his gospel, John 12, 41, he said, quote, Isaiah saw the glory of Christ and spoke of him. Did you know that no Old Testament writer is more quoted in the New Testament than the prophet Isaiah? 
Because he kept prophesying about the Messiah. And he prophesied about Israel. But those were the number one and number two subjects of his prophecies. And of all Bible prophecy. Messiah is number one. Bible prophecy is one of the unique things that shows us how divinely inspired the Bible is. It's unlike any book. It's the book. That's what the Bible means. It's the book. And God prophesied of his Savior, the one he gave to the world, the Lord, what he would be like when he came. He described it hundreds and hundreds of years in advance. For his first coming, over 300 prophecies. For his second coming, 400. All the Prophecies about his first coming came true. So many leading up to his second coming are coming true. Who thinks the rest of them will not come true? Of course they will. Now, why is prophecy such an amazing thing? Well, for any one man to have that many prophecies fulfilled in himself that were pre-written hundreds and even thousands of years in advance, the chances are impossible. Even for eight, a guy named Peter, Peter Stoner figured out the chances of just eight prophecies pre-predicted hundreds of years in advance being fulfilled in any one man he said would be one chance in 10 to the 17th power, which is one chance in 100 million billion. Just one chance. Just for eight to be fulfilled in any one man. Why? Because every prophecy limits who could be the fulfillment of the prophecy. For example, two chapters before this one in Isaiah 7.14, Amy quoted the verse... A virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, a virgin now, give birth to a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, aside from the fact that no one has fulfilled having a virgin for a mom who conceived without the normal process, except one, let's set that aside for a minute. He's the only one who fulfilled that. That eliminates the rest of the world. But let's, let's set that one aside and just say Emmanuel. One of his names would be Emmanuel. How many here are named Emmanuel? Raise your hand. If your name is Emmanuel. There's one guy. That's great. Okay, you could possibly be the Messiah. <laughs> but none of the rest of you could. Because that's one of your names. People would have to have called you that, right? Now, my name's Wayne. There's no prophecies about that for the Messiah. (laughs) Richard, my middle name, Taylor, none of them. Now there's five other names given here. So we have one plus in verse six, five more names. Do you know that Jesus, probably out of all people in history, has had the most nicknames of anyone? They say about 200 to 250 names in the Bible to describe the Messiah. One of them is wonderful. Anyone here? People call you wonderful. Okay, I thought there'd be a couple wives. 
or husbands. That's a little more rare. Okay, counselor. Counselor. Counselor? How about any of you called the mighty God? Or the everlasting Father? There's no messianic possibilities here. Or the Prince of Peace. You see, that's right there. That's six prophecies. It'll, it, it lowers the chances. Now, a seventh prophecy in verse 1 here says that his witness would be like a light that would just light up the Galilee region of Israel. Now, there have been a lot of great people that have lived in the Galilee region, but lighting up that region with a witness of being the Messiah, not many. And then it says he would also be heir to David's throne. There's a royal lineage of David. And Matthew gives the royal lineage. And Jesus is in it. Do you know that since the first century, all other genealogies of Jewish genealogical origin and such have all been destroyed? The only person who could really prove that he is the Messiah is, in fact, Jesus Christ. Because it's been preserved in the Gospel of Matthew. And then Luke proves that he is of the seed of David through Mary. Both Joseph and Mary's genealogy. Amazing. Okay, so that's just eight. That's just eight prophecies. And they were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Just the verses I've read to you. There's one chance in a hundred million billion that any one man could have all those fulfilled in him. But Jesus had them all. Not just eight, but over 300. Do you know how large that number is? 100 million billion? How many would like to have 100 million billion dollars? Right. That's good. But with all the fires down here, if they were paper dollars, it would not be good. So let's say silver dollars. Silver is sort of the new gold. It's very valuable. It's always increasing. All that stuff people say if you believe the commercials and everything. Which I don't, but anyway. But let's say silver dollars, 100 million billion. Now, you know what a silver dollar, how many have seen a silver dollar? You know, they're, they're kind of cool, actually. I'd like to have more of them. But say you had 100 million billion. If you were to place them in California, it would fill the entire area of Southern California from Santa Barbara to the Mexican border. Eight feet deep. Eight feet deep, the entire area of Southern California. Now, just mark one with an X. Only one. Mark it with an X. And then wade through all those silver dollars. Just go throughout all Southern California. Just, okay, let's see. It's hard to get through here, you know. And then you reach out and you pick one. Only one. The chances you would get the one marked with an X would be the chances that just eight prophecies could be fulfilled in any one man. But they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ and 300 more. What does that mean? That means God was saying, this will be the Messiah. And there will be no doubt because I've said this is what he will be like. He, he spelled out his life and death and resurrection hundreds of years before he came. 
Now, in the prophecy that we just read, basically God says through Isaiah that the Messiah will do three things. And the first thing that he will do is he'll chase away all the gloom of the area of the Sea of Galilee. He'll chase away the gloom in people's lives. Look at verse 1 again. I just love that. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. He mentions the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people have seen a great light. Now, Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. And the two northern tribes up there are Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, it's interesting because that's the northern fringe of Israel. And it's called Galilee, and the the name Galilee means circle. And it's always been encircled by Gentile nations. Even in Jesus' time, there was a group of cities called the Decalogue. Or, or what do they call it? Um, Decapolis. The Decapolis, the ten cities. Okay? Decalogue is the Ten Commandments. Okay. Pray for my brain. So the Decapolis. So there was these ten cities, and they were Gentile areas. So they would influence kind of the, the country in a negative way a lot of times. And whenever the country was attacked, they would usually attack it from the north. Like, for example, even in the 73 war, in modern times, when Syria attacked from the north and Egypt attacked from the south, they came in on the fringes. And remember, they came down from the Golan Heights and they were bombing Israel. Now, Israel defeated them, so what did they do? They took the Golan Heights so that they couldn't drop bombs from the Golan Heights down on Israel anymore. And they kind of made it a demilitarized zone. Well, this was like that back leading up to the time of Jesus. There was all these wars coming in from the north. Back then, there was the nations of Assyria, major power. There was the nation of the Phoenicians. There was the nation of the people of Syria. Today, there's the people of Lebanon. There's the people of Syria, which have been weakened by ISIS. But there's also the nation of Jordan. So there's these, these nations that are, have generally been enemy nations. So they would come in and they would war. And he's talking about all this oppression, this warfare that was happening to them. And they were so oppressed. And you know, we like to make war look really glamorous, but it's not. What is it? It's gloomy. It's sad. If you've seen a real-life war movie like Hacksaw Ridge. I mean, think of that amazing hero, the Christian guy that God used, but the war was so terrible. So much blood. It talks about the blood. It talks about the oppression, the sadness, the gloom. Galilee, which is normally such a beautiful place to live. I've been there 13 times. I love it there. I think it's amazing. But that's after Jesus came there. 
Prior to that, it was a difficult, difficult place to live for the Jewish people because they were so beat down by war and by gloom. But now he's saying there's going to come someone and he's going to change all of that. And that is going to happen in Zebulun and Naphtali. Now we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But then after, when they came back from Egypt, when Jesus was about two years old, they went up to Nazareth, where they were from, and they settled back in Nazareth. Nazareth is of the tribe of Zebulon. And then, when he came time for his ministry, he moved to Capernaum, where that became the headquarters of his ministry, right along the Sea of Galilee. That's part of the tribe of Naphtali. So he's specifically saying the Messiah is going to come there just exactly like happened to Jesus. And Jesus, when he came to the Galilee region, he completely changed it. He did so many miracles there. He told Capernaum, you know, if, if, if these types of miracles were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have had a major revival. And there was an incredible revival in Capernaum, but a lot of people were still hardening their hearts. So Jesus is saying, you need to start believing. But he completely changed the area of Galilee. His first four disciples were fishermen who fished on the Sea of Galilee. Peter, Andrew, James, John, those guys, man. And what happened? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. He, he's saying, this area used to be like the valley of the shadow of death. The worst place to live. But after the Messiah comes, everyone is going to be filled with sunshine on the inside. Because such a great light is going to shine on them. It's going to be like the light of harvest and abundance. He said it's like going to be the light of victory in war, where you win every battle. He says, it's going to be amazing. He's going to completely get rid of all the gloom. And you know, even now in Galilee, when you go there, they're still buzzing about Jesus. Everything in Galilee is near something where Jesus did a miracle. Their entire economy is based on tourists because of Jesus who want to come up and see what happened up there. Still, 2,000 years later, everything points to him. They're still buzzing about Jesus. And in Capernaum itself, which is not even a city anymore, it's just ruins Literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people come every week just to see it. Jesus not only changed people's lives spiritually, he changed their entire existence. You know, people say Jesus changes the American economy every December. People say, Jesus saves. Yeah, he saves the American economy every Christmas. And you know what? More is sold because of of who Jesus is. 
Now, all that is just sad. Except this. Wherever Jesus' presence is, it drives the gloom away. And every heart that opens up to him and and makes room for him, it drives out the darkness. It lifts off the burden. It goes to his shoulders and not yours anymore. How many of you feel a lot of times like there's almost like a rain cloud over you wherever you go and you don't even live in Seattle? (laughs) I mean, for us, that's literally true. But for you, you could have a day like this and it's like, oh, all the fears, all the anxieties, all the burdens, all the turmoil in your mind, it's raging. But the Prince of Peace, for many of us, most of us here, he's in our hearts and he wants to drive the gloom out. His presence can remove that. How? Cast all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. Do you know what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6? It says, worry about nothing, but pray about everything. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard over your hearts and minds with a peace that you won't even be able to understand. So we actually have two choices. Worry about nothing because we pray about everything. Notice the all-inclusive words there. Worry about nothing. Nothing means no thing. Not one thing. Now, how can you worry about not one thing if you pray about everything? You say everything? Everything. If you pray about everything, you will worry about nothing. Now, the other choice is worry about everything and pray about nothing. (laughs) Which one have you been doing lately? Really, which one have we been following? Or I pray about a couple things, but you know the big things I, I need to take care of because... Well, like, for example, a husband. God, I don't know if he has good taste. I really don't. Or God might make me marry an ugly woman or something. Hey, hey, hey. God has good taste. And if no one else, you'll think she's beautiful. Right? Beauty's in the eyes of the beholder. He knows how to smite people. God had my wife actually love me. She's gorgeous, and I'm, eh, you know, really. I thought it was a miracle. I really did. God does incredible things. But what? We should pray about those things. They're very important. Seek first, though, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, like Amy said, will be added. All these other things, he said. He said it. So seek him first. And all the other things will be added. We live in a time when there's a lot of fears. How many agree with that? We live in a time when people's lives are suffering from anxiety, depression, 
Depression is the number one mental illness in the United States. And yet we have the most of any people in the world. But we're still depressed. Why? Because those things can never fulfill completely. There's only one who can fulfill completely. And that's the relationship with Jesus Christ and his love. He's the one that can satisfy every lonely area in your heart. Do you know what? Christmas time is one of the times when you notice discontent the most because your expectations are so high. Our expectations are so high for our family time and for our friends. And we just, oh, it's Christmas. Oh, I just love it so much. But then, oh, it's easy to be let down because why? Because we live in a fallen world and people are fallen and you are fallen and I am fallen. We cannot satisfy the deepest longing. We can help, but only Jesus can really come in and drive the gloom out and bring a peace and a joy and a hope. Do you know that Jesus' presence will take the gloom out and fill you with hope? His presence tonight, wants, he wants to do that. His presence will come and whereas you are filled with darkness and impurity, and sin, his presence, his Holy Spirit, and the blood, the precious blood that he shed to die for our sins will wash out that stuff and empower us to say no and to choose his better ways. He did that for my daughter. That was heartbreaking for us. That was a difficult time. And, and Amy and I sat down for lunch every week and talked about these things. I never condemned her. I didn't constantly preach at her and harp on her. I just said, honey, Jesus loves you and he has something so much more. And I just don't like to see you hurt like this. She goes, I know, dad. And we prayed and God did a work. God did a work. The lies were driven away. By the truth of Christ. He did it himself. It's awesome. Don't think there's anything Jesus can't do for your children. Or for your neighbor. Or for you. I don't care what it is. He can do it. He wants to take you who are troubled in mind. You know who you are. You have tumultuous thoughts. Difficult thoughts. You wake up with these thoughts. At night, maybe you've had PTSD. But Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, can actually take the pain of that wreckage and use it as fuel for the fire in your relationship with him. That's what it says in these verses. It becomes fuel for the fire. The sandals that were all muddy from battle, they just lit them on fire and they warmed them at the fire and they were at peace. Jesus will actually use the hard times to make you more in love and more devoted to him and his presence will remove the pain. It takes time. It takes time, but that's what Jesus does. And you know the biggest thing he does? He transforms lives 
by changing us from self-centered to now God-centered. And the love of God that fills you, you want to love others with and love God with. That's the best way to live. People that always are loving themselves and centered on themselves, they're selfish pigs. Sorry. (laughs) That's not a way to live. That's not good. People don't go, I really admire you because you're a selfish pig. (laughs) No. They think, why don't you get out of the mud and quit snorting and, (laughs) you know, and start bawling like a sheep and following the shepherd. Loving some people, providing wool, anything, whatever. It's so good. God has a plan. He loves us. It's amazing. Okay, so the second thing is, he not only drives out the gloom, he brings in salvation. Salvation. Unto us a child is born, of course, the virgin birth. But unto us a son is given. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, that's you, me, whoever, that's you, that's me, believes, I believe in you, I shall not perish, but I have eternal life now. What is eternal life? I can know God now because he gave his son. What does that mean, he gave his son? He gave him to die. He gave him to die. He gave Jesus to die, to be sacrificed. Because the wages of our sin is death. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died in our place. That's how he gave his son. Now listen, I love you guys. I have four children, eight grandchildren. I wouldn't give one of them for you. Just being honest. Because I don't love you as much as God. But God does. Our Heavenly Father loves you and gave Jesus for you. And then on the third day, he raised from the dead. He conquered death. I love that. Because he's the God-man. He was delivered up to death for our transgressions and he was raised for our justification, the Bible says. That means God raised him from the dead to prove that if you believe in him, you are justified before God. How would you even know you're justified if he hadn't raised Jesus from the dead? If he just died? Well, I guess that didn't work. But he raised him on the third day to prove that everyone who believes in him, the Messiah, is justified, it says in Isaiah 53. I love that. You are declared righteous as a gift. He not only subtracts your sins, when you believe in him, he adds his righteousness, a perfect right standing with God as a gift to you and me. And we have it forever. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us. And that brings us to the final thing. He gives us a government of peace over our lives. He gives us the kingdom of God. He comes to rule. He's the king of hearts. He wants to rule over your heart and my heart. 
Remember when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is among you now. Why? Because the king was right there. And if you believe in me, if you receive me, you're part of my kingdom. You know, he wants to be king over your heart and my heart. And when he's ruling over your heart, you'll have peace. But he wants to take every thought captive. Will you let him do that tonight? Those renegade thoughts? Will you let the Holy Spirit bring them captive? Help you bring them captive to Jesus? He wants to do that. You know, once there's, well, I got to tell you this story. Way back when I was young, there was a program on TV called Kids Say the Darndest Things. I'm really dating myself, but how many remember that program? Yeah, it was Art Linkletter. Remember that guy? Yeah, he's long gone. But anyway, he had this program. Amazing. Kids say the darndest things. So he had in his studio all these students, these young students. And he told these little kids. He said, okay, you can draw whatever you want. And he was, it was a program. You draw whatever you want and I'll come around and interview you as to what you're drawing. So he was doing that. It was very entertaining because kids say the darndest things. But then he comes to this one guy and he says, oh, well, what are you drawing, young fella? He goes, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. Like it's obvious, right? And Art goes, well, no one knows what what God looks like, young man. And the guy looked at him, kind of glared at him and said, they will when I'm done. (laughs) Get a clue, buddy. Listen, when Jesus was done with why he came, all the miracles he did, all the love he showed, all the lives he changed and raised from the dead, and then when he took all our sins on himself willingly and then rose again the third day, now, when he said, when he died, he said, to tell us thy, it is finished. I did it. It's paid. All your debts, morally and spiritually, before God are completely paid. Which means you're redeemed. You've been purchased by God because he paid all your debts. I'll tell you, when you have a rich loved one who pays all your debts, that lifts a lot of gloom. Have you ever had that happen? That's fun. Pray for that. But Jesus did that completely. Spiritually, morally, paid it all. And all to him we owe. And Jesus showed he is God. He's exactly who he claimed to be. Because the Bible says he's wonderful. And that word wonderful, I'm just going to cover Two words, wonderful and then the mighty God and we're done. Wonderful. It's not wonderful counselor like it goes together. No, it's a separate word. It's a noun, wonderful. It means full of wonders. It actually means miracle man. He's the miracle worker. And the greatest miracles he works are transforming you and I.
saving us out of the pit of selfishness and sin and giving us a new life in Christ. Never take that for granted because there's way more than you've been experiencing yet to come. Tonight is part of that. And he wants to bless you with that. He, he wants to drive out those gloomy, dark things. Because he's the mighty God. El Gabor. God, the mighty champion. He's your hero. He's the only superhero. You know, all those guys on TV, they can't even do those things. Did you know that? That's just a movie. Yeah, that whole like, what's that guy, the, the claws and stuff? That doesn't happen. That's just, that's a cool special effect. It's really neat. Wolverine. It doesn't really happen. Did you, how many knew that? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> but Jesus, that's a different story. He really did rise again. And he raises people up to a new life with God. And he fills your heart with the Holy Spirit. And he drives out the sin. And he won't let sin keep dominating you. So he wants you to cooperate now. And give it over. He wants that gloom out of there. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you mean to us. Thank you, Father, for giving your Son. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come to dispel the darkness and to take away the gloom. You came to bring us joy and hope and a love. Other people's love will fail us even at Christmas, but your love never does. Thank you. The Holy Spirit really wants to help you now. We want to pray for you. The Holy Spirit wants to fill your heart with the love of God. He also wants you to receive forgiveness for your sins and change your mind about your sins and say, Lord, I, I want to go your way, not mine. And for you that have so many anxieties and fears, he wants to take those He wants to chase them away with his perfect love. Those that are really struggling with things that you're stumbling, easily besetting sins that keep getting you down, he's going to bring freedom. He's going to break that yoke, that bondage, and he's going to give you freedom through the power of the Spirit. And we want to pray for you. And all I'm asking you to do, and, and don't be ashamed. If anything that's been said, you realize I need that. I want you to pray for me. And I want to open my heart and let him chase out that gloom. Whatever the area is, I want to pray with you right now and with others as well. 
Why don't you just stand to your feet? If something in that we've said tonight, whether it be anxieties, fears, just a temper that keeps stumbling you, maybe a lust problem, maybe um, just whatever it is, any area of darkness or gloominess or despair, depression, just stand to your feet right now. God is asking you, stand up and say, I need you, Jesus. Stand up. We're going to pray for you. If you don't have a close, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where you know him in a personal fellowship, I want you to stand as well. Give your life over now. Okay? Just stand. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. He loves you. He loves you. Right now, he wants to fill each of you who are standing. By believing in Jesus, he wants to fill you with his spirit and his love and his light, which will dispel the darkness and the gloom. So those sitting or standing next to them, would you just put your hand on your neighbor right now on their shoulder? Just put your hand. Look around, guys. Look around and find someone and lay your hand on their shoulder right now. Don't sit down. Lay your hand on their shoulder. We want to pray for these people. God loves these people. And he is real. And the Jesus that he sent is the most real person who's ever come to our world. And he's putting his hand on you right now. Just lay your hand on them. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you for how much you love these people. Lord, that your love towards them is overwhelming. It drove you to go from heaven to earth, to go to the the rebellious planet, just to save them and just to fill them with your grace. And Lord, as they right now are giving these things over to you. Just give it over to him, whatever it is. In your heart, say, Lord, I give you this, including his, your life. Lord, I give you any dark closet that, that I'm hiding things in. I give that over to you. Just may your light come into that area, whether it be a temper problem. Give that over to him. If you get angry a lot and it hurts people, maybe your family or if you have a lust issue, or if you have covetousness as a problem, or jealousy of people, just whatever it is, say, Jesus, take this from me. Lord, I give you my heart. And Lord, I pray that you'd fill, fill these dear people with your Holy Spirit. Pour out your Spirit into their hearts. And may it overflow, Lord, with joy and power to say no to the fears and the darkness Because the one who fears has not yet been perfected in love, but your perfect love is coming into them. God, just fill them and overflow them now with your presence because wherever your presence went, the gloom fled. Lord, drive it away. Bring a renewed joy and excitement about God into their hearts and an excitement for their family. Pray for that loved one right where you're, you're at as well that you're concerned about. Say, Lord, please melt their hearts. Draw them to you. Lord, do a work this Christmas. 
We found in our church more people get saved during Christmas time than any other time of the year. Lord, just bring our loved ones and our neighbors and our friends to some of these services that they'll be having in the next days and weeks. And I pray that so many will turn to you, Lord. Or maybe just through their love and their witness. Lord, overflow us with your spirit now.